Welcome, 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 beautiful people. Welcome, welcome to TLC. We are glad to have you guys here worshiping with us this fine, beautiful Sunday. Thank you so much. My name is Tony, if you guys didn't know. I'm the EM pastor, associate pastor here at our church. I'm excited to have you guys. A couple more days till Christmas. It's going to be our last uh, service, uh, almost last service of the year. We have a Christmas Eve service coming up this Tuesday, I think. Yeah, Tuesday. But I'm, uh, I just got back from Peru. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you guys, man, something about, it was, it was a really short trip. It was like five days. It was like shotgun trip. Really went there and came home. Um, you know, we went there with one goal in mind, like the kids were graduating and we realized that we still haven't gotten a place for them to actually have a school yet. And so the goal in the prayer was we're going to go and pray that God will provide us a land to uh, build a school at the right price because we are poor, right? And, you know, God was so good. I mean, it, it, was, it was so crazy. They showed us like a $50,000 piece of land, which is not too bad. That was kind of nice too. And they showed us like a $1.6 million land. I was like, look, look, <laughs> I don't know who you think I am, but <laughs> and I remember our, our principal was like, this is my dream, Tony. I was like, well, keep dreaming, right? Because <laughs> it ain't happening, right? Uh, and, but uh, crazy enough, we, we, um, we were hustling and we found this, this fantastic land. It's actually located at the heart of where we actually wanted to build the school. And the lady out of the blue was selling it because uh, her, one of her kids were in Lima getting an operation or surgery and they needed the cash quickly. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll let you do it. We're going to get all the paperwork in order. And if, if, if it all fits out, this is actually your land. Because, you know, sometimes they just live there and they don't actually belong to one. So we're going to try to get our lawyers going. And if that happens, we're going to be able to uh, purchase that land hopefully by March. We have to raise 30K by March. Again, I, I'm, I don't know how we're going to do it, but, you know, God, God willing. But it's, it's crazy because every time I go there, it it's always seems like God is doing something and God is providing in some way. And God, God really loves these children and he's finding ways for us to, to bless them and be a part of their lives. And so thank you guys so much for all those who supported and prayed for us and uh, allowed for us to go on this trip. Um, we really are, are uh, encouraged and blessed by that. And I uh, hope you guys come alongside us. In the future, I would love to take. All, I mean, I would love to take as much as you guys, you guys want to come out and see it. You know, when we start building the land too in the church, um, or the school, right? <laughs> school, uh, maybe a church too, right? Uh, we'd love to have you guys come out and actually see the the progress. Because I know sometimes you hear the stories from me, but you don't actually really feel it and see it, so it doesn't really connect as well. But I promise you, you go there, you step on the land, you see the provision, you see what God is doing. It's gonna it's gonna change your life and change your heart. So. Uh, thank God for that. I'm back. I'm back just in time for Christmas. Yay, right? All right. Um, we are finishing up the series called uh, Christmas Unwrapped. Christmas Unwrapped. And this series, last week, everyone was talking about the birth of Jesus and how this is, he's our king. He's our king. Of, of all the pictures that he is our king. But even before that, we talk about Christmas as, do you know the meaning of Christmas? Do you, know, do you actually understand the heart of Christmas? Do you sense the wonder and the beauty of what Christmas represents? Right? And, you know, we, we talk about how God showed us who he really is through the word, through Jesus Christ, how heaven touches earth, how men become humble to be able to meet God, and how Jesus Christ, our God, our Lord, our Savior, is actually our king as well. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture, and I'm excited to finish this service up, to, uh, this series up with you guys today about responding to Jesus' birth, responding to the birth of Christ. If I knew, if I understand the meaning of it, I understand how it works, and understand what happens, then the question is, how do I respond to this? How do you respond to Christmas? I mean, 
Are we supposed to be like, you know, PC all stooge about it? Of course not, right? How do you respond to Christmas in a way that actually can transform your life? And that's my hope. My hope is that every time we enter into the Christmas season, what you hear, what you experience can actually transform your life. What you reflect upon can actually bring transformation and growth into your life. And that's my, that's my prayer. But, you know, sometimes what I see is, um, like, for example, my son, he's, he's been going to school, Pat Elementary School a lot. And a couple of days ago, he, he brought home some paperwork and stuff that he did, right, about um, the holiday season. I was going through it. I was like, Seth, you know what Kwanzaa is? He's like, yeah, Daddy, we learned about Kwanzaa. Like, oh, that's cool. And looking through a couple of papers, like, Seth, you learn about you learn about Hanukkah too? He's like, yeah, eight candles in the cradle. I love it, Daddy. He's like, oh, cool. I kept looking through, and it's like, that you learn anything about Christmas this year? He's like, no, not yet. I mean, we read a Christmas story. I'm like, which one? I'm like, you know, uh, the night before Christmas. I'm like, oh, the commercialized one. Nice. Okay. All right. Anything else? And he's like, no. So do you know what Christmas is about, though? He's like, yeah, Daddy. Auntie Asia always tells me it's about Jesus, right? <laughs> now, thank God. Thank God for our CM. You know, thank God for our CM because I feel like, you know, it, it makes me sad because I get a public school system. We, we want to separate religion and all that stuff. And, and I see the, the, the constant, like, just um, secularization of our, of our community and people. And I get it because I get there's crazy people out there who are upset, who would make trouble for teachers if they would speak up. And I, I was a, I'm a teacher, too. I, I teach at an SAT prep school, if you guys didn't know. Um, uh, as, as a side job, and I remember one time I was, I was, I usually share about my story, my testimony being in my classes one time, and there's one chick, I mean not chick, there's one girl, right, in this class, right, there's one, one, uh, right, there was one girl in this class, she, she was all sweet, but then, like, she told her mom about it, and then her mom complained to my boss about it, and my boss called me in, and he said, hey, man, like, I know, I know you're a pastor, but you can't, you gotta just tone it down a little bit, I, I know you tell a story to kind of connect to your teacher, but you, you, you gotta tone it down, you gotta keep the, relig- I was like, Look, Mr. Lee, you can fire me if you want. You know, like, I don't even want to work here that often, you know, so. And he was like, I'm not going to fire you. I was like, okay, I know that. So, so what do you want me to do, right? And he was like, oh, just please, just don't make trouble for me. I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to. I'll, I'll do my best, right? But anyway, but I get it. I get the trouble that, you know, uh, people, are, administration gets in when they start talking about Christ. And it's sad, though, because we take, we take the actual meaning of the season out of its existence, and we kind of dub it with a lot of different things and my hope and my prayer for our church at least is that during this season you will always go back to the reason why we celebrate it to the purpose of why and the beauty of what makes christmas christmas right and not try to be just politically correct about um enjoying the holidays i mean of course enjoy the holidays of course be with families of course enjoy the supplement mocha right enjoy the decorations enjoy the stuff but remembering the real reason behind it and so i want to end this uh this series with responding to the birth of Jesus Christ. How do we respond to it? What is the best way to do that? Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. A very famous passage, often preached about. Sometimes I always get confused. Like, there's, so, there's so many passages. There's only so many passages I can preach during this season, you know. Like, and I feel like you guys all heard every Christmas story possible. So uh, let me try one more time to get this point across to you guys the best way I know how. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you the three points. We're going to work backwards, okay? So that way you get the points from the bottom up. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Open now. Listen now for the word of God. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. It's going to be projected up there, I believe. Okay? Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, and shepherds, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. Father, I thank you guys so much, Lord, for uh, this afternoon and this season. I ask, Lord, as we begin to um, engage with your word, Holy Father, would you allow your word to grasp our heart? Holy Spirit, would you come and just convict us and remind us and illuminate the truth of this word to our, to our lives. Help us, Father God, to find connection and, rele and relevance, Father, practicality to it. Help us, Lord, to see the wisdom and the beauty in it. Help us, Lord God, to step into the season of Christmas, transforming, growing now and forever, Father. We thank you so much, Lord. We ask for your blessing over this time. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How should we respond to Christmas? You know what Christmas is about. You know it's about God stepping into the history of man having business with you. Right? Christmas is God saying, I have business with you that I want to finish. That your life is not purposeless. Your life has meaning. It has direction. It has vision. Your life has a story that I want it to, to play out. You're not just running in circles. You're not just trying to find your way through this really wretched and weird way. I have a plan. I have business that I want to work with you. And here I am. Heaven touching earth. God becoming man to deal with you. That's Christmas. And the, so the, so the question is, how do I respond to that? Lord, how do I respond to you? How do I respond to this message of Christmas? How do I respond to the birth of Jesus Christ? How do I respond? How do I react to this? And then Luke here, as he's sharing it out, the first thing, he just, he's, he's going to show us three things. But he's gonna, first thing he says, you got to hear well. You got you to be opening your ears and your heart and hear this well. Hear this message well. Hear this truth well. Secondly, you got to be able to make peace. You respond to Jesus by making peace by reconciling with God, by coming to a place where you are no longer at war with God, you are making peace. And thirdly, it's to stop being afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. It's to actually overcome the fear of our hearts, the fear that plagues us more than we actually know, right? The anxiousness that we feel all the time about our future, about our lives. Do not be afraid. He's going to tell us about listening well, making peace with God, and, do, and not being afraid. Okay? The first thing, listening well, hear well. Let's go to verse 16 to 20. This is what it says. So the angel basically showed himself up to the shepherds. The shepherds were like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Let's go talk and tell everyone what we just saw. And everyone heard this. And then he, they went and told Mary. Mary was like, whoa, that's pretty cool, right? So this is the 
this whole conversation about talking and listening here. When the angels had left them, verse 15, and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So basically what you see here is the first messengers of Jesus Christ. The first people who shared about who Jesus was were a bunch of what? Shepherds. Were a bunch of shepherds. They were the first people who talked about Jesus. In verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And this is how Mary, Mary, how Mary took this message in. She says, but Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What Luke is trying to tell us here is this. There is an importance of being able to hear well, being able to listen and actually understand. I have an issue, I'll confess to you, Pastor's confession, right? I don't listen very well. Right? Especially when it comes with my wife. Okay? Sometimes I will wake up in the morning, I walk downstairs, and my in-laws are there. And I'm like, whoa, where'd you come from? Right? You know, they had to drive from Vegas to, 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 to here, so it's about a four-hour drive. And every time I do that, she feels like, why are you always surprised? We had this whole conversation last night. You nodded. You said, yes, you'll wake up on time for them. You, you said they're coming. And you, you had all, we had this huge conversation about it. Why are you surprised? And the answer was, I heard it. I, I, I definitely heard words out of your mouth, and I definitely nodded, and I definitely said yes, and I definitely basically repeated everything I actually heard you say, but I didn't really internalize it. I didn't really like ha understand the implication that mom and dad was coming tomorrow morning, right? And I should actually get dressed when I walk down the stairs instead of being naked, you know? So I'm like, oh, oopsie, right? It happens so many times. She said, why are you always, you never Listen, and the answer is, it's true, right? And that's the problem sometimes we get when we are engaging with the message that God has given to us. You guys come, and you listen, and when I tell you say amen, you say amen, right? When I kind of like nod my head, you guys nod your heads with me. If, I, if you see me looking at you, you kind of look back up and stare back at me, right? There's this, this constant like, you know, dance that we do together here in the service where it looks like you're listening, but you're not really listening. You know how I know? Because next day I'll ask my fault guys, hey, what was the message about? And they'll be like, hmm, hmm, Jesus. You ain't wrong. You're not wrong, right? You're not wrong. Or even 15 minutes. The youth, you guys at least, some of you guys actually remember, the youth is even worse. Like I literally walk out of the trailer and say, what's the message about? And they're like, um, angels. I was like, great, great. I, I spoke about angels. Amen, right? See? You're listening, but you're not really listening. You're, laying, you're, you're grasping the word, but you're not being grasped by the word. Right? And here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's because we take, um, we take advantage of the ordinariness of the deliverance of the message. Right? We don't take too seriously of how ordinary this message is delivered to you. Let me give you an example. Let me tell you what I mean. When the shepherds heard the message, who did they hear it from? Angels, glory on high, singing in choir, telling them Christ is here. God, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to all men. And you, you see that, you're like, wow. But the rest of us got the message from who? But the rest of them got the message from who? From the shepherds. They didn't get the thunder and lightning. They didn't get the 
hoopla. They didn't get the glory of God. They didn't get any of that. They just got a bunch of shepherds running around saying, dude, I think the Savior of the world is born today. Right? We saw a bunch of angels, and they got the message from them. Right? Moses got at least a fire, pillar of fire. He got the mountain with the tablets. Right? Peter got the vision up on the mountain. Paul got a revelation of Jesus. We got what? We got a book. Right? We got a book saying all these things. And so it seems so ordinary. It seems so basic. And because it's so ordinary and basic, we don't take it to heart a lot of times when we hear it preached or even start to read it. You guys, you guys feel what I'm saying? Right? You're always waiting for thunder and lightning. You're waiting for miracles to happen so that you can have some sort of testimony and say, wow, God is alive. Well, all the while, the message of Christmas here at Responding of Jesus' Birth was given by a bunch of shepherds. It was an ordinary, ordinary um, medium of passing this message on. It was just a bunch of shepherds. Shepherds were equivalent to the blue-collar workers of today. Right? They heard a message while they were doing the steel factory. They came out, you know, and started sharing, hey, we saw angels, man, and Jesus Christ is born. You know, that's great. Such an ordinary message. But the problem is we, take it, we, we don't take it seriously. We don't let the word grasp us. And I get it. The Bible is boring at times. So it's hard. It's not boring, but it's hard to read, isn't it? How many of you guys every January say, like, I'm going to read it, PT, this year? This is the year. 2020 is my year. I'm going to get through this Bible. And where do we always end up stopping? Genesis. <laughs> Chapter 1, stop. <laughs> right? right? I mean, if you get to Deuteronomy, the laws, oh, that's pretty crazy already. But if you get to Leviticus, Leviticus, that's when you're like, game over, man. I can't do this anymore. Right? And you're done. You're done. Right? Leviticus 3, usually, is when all the names start popping up. Okay? It's not easy to pay attention to. It's hard to pay attention. A lot of us doesn't, we don't, it doesn't seem to make sense. And so we always have to go back and ask questions over and over and over. Sometimes we reread it over and over. I get that. I get that. But here's the thing. Luke is saying to us this. The first message of Christmas that was given was an ordinary way of giving it. The message that we have, the message you have here is very ordinary. You have the shepherds, that's your pastor, right? You have the book, which is the Bible, given to you. It can transform your life if you let it grasp your heart and if you're actually listening to it. Luke is saying you got to listen. You got to listen to this. Don't just nod, amen, and let it go. Don't just think that because it's such an ordinary way of getting it, let it go. That's why when we come to the second part here, it says this. Like Mary, though, look, at how, look how Mary received it. When Mary, verse, uh, when Mary uh, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which, is just, which, which were just as they had been told. Most people, most people's hearts hear, but they don't really hear it, right? Some people, they don't believe it, but others say who they do believe it, they don't what? They don't treasure it. They don't ponder it. You don't let the reality of the message sink in. It doesn't change your life. The point is, Mary, what did she do? You know that Mary got the message before the shepherds did, right? Mary got it from who? Mary got it from Gabriel. You're like, shepherds, imagine shepherds come in and say, dude, I just saw a bunch of angels, Mary. They told me this is Christ the Lord. Mary could even say, like, I, I heard it from the angel, Gabriel, right? Almost secondhand to God, 
right? You just heard from a bunch of, like, messenger angels, right, singing choir angels. I got from the legit source, one of the scary ones, right, Gabriel. She could have just passed it off, but she did what? She took this ordinary message, this message given by ordinary people, and she treasured it. She pondered it. Do you know what ponder means? Ponder is like you, you, you sit and think about how this connects to your life. You ponder. It's like how does it actually begin to, 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 to change me? How does this actually begin to relate to me? How does this actually connect to how I'm living now? You're not just listening or thinking, but you're connecting to this message that's coming to you. You're getting grasped by this message. And she also, not only did she pondered it, she treasured it. Treasuring it is like a... Um, uh, it's, a men- it's more than just a mental, uh, I'm sorry, pondering is a mental task, but treasuring it is an emotional task. You, you're, you're emotionally invested into it. To treasure is to keep something alive. It's, it's a word that means to relish, to savor. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this, okay? If you remember your first kiss, most of you guys do, okay, if you've actually been kids, right? You remember, your f- I remember my first kiss, right? To my wife, okay? She was my first kiss. I wasn't hers, though. Sad, right? She was my first, doesn't get that, all right, never mind. Right, she was my first kiss, right? And I remember, I remember, I remember it very clearly because why? Because right afterwards, all I did for a week was ponder it and treasure it. I was like, dude, what does this mean, right? Like, she kissed me. Like, oh, my Lord, she actually kissed me. Like, what, like wow, am I, am I awesome or am I like, what, what's going on? I pondered it, and then I, I, I treasured it because I'm thinking like, wow, wow, she actually likes me unbelievable like my world has been turned upside and i kept it in my head i remembered it i remember the first time i held her hand it was like that right it was on the tech festival you know and i remember i remember like i was like oh my lord what is i remember i remember so clearly because i was like like does that mean we're a couple now like she's holding my hand we actually held hands to go by canoeing at the stall like it's like it's a romantic thing, like it's, and I, I, I pondered it, and I treasured it, and it kept, and, 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 and it became who I, it became part of, like, my, my, my kind of existence for a while. I was like, dude, I'm Chris's boyfriend. Oh, we're dating. Holy moly, she kissed me. Praise the Lord, right? We pondered it, we treasured it, and then let it change our lives. In the same way, what Mary did was this. She heard an, ordin- she heard an amazing message from ordinary means, through an ordinary means. And she didn't just let it brush off her shoulder. She didn't just nod her head and amen. She didn't just kind of stare her way through it. She sat there and she pondered it. This child whom I just gave birth, whom I just pushed out of my womb, this child is Christ the Lord, come to bring peace to the world. What does that mean? This child is God himself. I'm I'm holding my Lord and my baby? What does that mean? And she treasures that truth that, out of all women on earth, God chose her to be the vessel of his, of his work here on this earth. She treasured the truth of that. And she let that, she let the truth of that hold on to her life. You know what, you know how, you, you know how she was able to survive the shame and the guilt of the people around her, the fear of what people would say around her all over and over because, you know, she got knocked up. And she, no one actually would believe that this is God's baby. Like, my Holy Spirit knocked me up, right? No one's going to believe that. But the way she was able to ignore all of that is because she pondered and treasured the truth of what's been said to her. See, your life and your destiny and your, and your trajectory can never be changed and you can never move anywhere unless you allow for the word 
to sink deeply into your heart. It lets you begin to actually start thinking about how does this actually connect to my life? How does it connect to the way I work? How does it connect to the way I raise my children? How does it connect to the way I deal with my, my significant others? How do I connect to the way I deal with my personal fears and doubts? Unless you ponder it and treasure it, you're never going to be able to overcome it, right? See, that's the attitude that, that Luke was trying to say. How do you respond to Jesus' voice? Are you listening to it? Are you, are you listening to what's being said to you? Are you, are, are you going to be listening to this message to understand that this has humongous significance in your life? Or are we just going to let it just fly over our shoulder? If you ask your pastor, I teach God's word, right? Uh, that's my job. I come up here and I develop the message to make it interesting or compelling, or at least I try to. Sometimes I look at your face and I know I have failed tremendously, right, all the time, okay? Hold your attention. But the question is, can you hold your own attention? Can, can, can you hold the attention of yourself? Can you sit down and ponder yourself this message? Can you sit down and let the truth of the Bible into your heart to treasure it until it catches fire in your mind, driving you to change, driving you to growth, driving you in such a way where your emotions take root of it, where you're, you're, you're being grasped by it and you cannot do anything else but then to obey it? Or do you have to wait every Sunday for PT to come and maybe hopefully share an inspiring message enough to kind of move me to some sort of tiny little change? Do you, are you able to hold the attention of this word yourself? Are you able to ponder and treasure it yourself? Because when you do, I promise you, change comes right after. Growth comes right after. Destiny comes down the line, right? I remember, I remember the... Um, when I, was, uh, when I was in high school, I, uh, my, my fondest time of reading God's word was I, was I was driving my mom's Civic, not the Civic I had now, the one before that. I, I drove two Civics in my life, right? That one was a jump seat to 1989, right? It was like 13 years old, and it was falling apart. And I, I knew that every time I had turned on that car, I had to sit there for 15 minutes because if I were to go on to drive right after I turned it on, it was shut down, right? So I had to wait 15 minutes for it to warm up, and then you get the and it starts going, you know, like it, it gets this, it, it, it starts to move. And I remember during that time, it was early in my Christian days, I would, I would open the word of God and I would read it. And I, I, would, I would think about it and I would, I, would, I would try to see what he has to say to me. And I remember during that time because it was such a, it was such a weird time. The first thing that caught my heart when I was reading it in the car during that season was the message that Jesus said to his disciples. Unless you hate your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, you are not worthy to be my disciples. And I remember when I read that, I was like, what in the world? I have to hate my mom and grandma? Like, that's not hard, but like, do I have to, right? Do I really have to, like, you know, like and, 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 and negate everyone? Like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? That's kind of crazy. Why would God speak like that to me? Like, why would he tell me to abandon all that? And I was, I was so confused. I remember I was, but I was reading it, but one of the things that kept catching my eye was like, it was this phrase, like, you are unworthy to be called my disciple. And for some reason, that hit me hard. Like, I, like, for some reason, my whole life, and at that moment, I was like, I, I, all I wanted, I wanted to be your disciple. I wanted to follow after you, Jesus. You've changed my life. I just want that. But yet you're asking something crazy. And I was pondering it, and I was trying to treasure it in my heart. And I remember I had to go and ask my youth pastor what that meant. And he was like, no, it just means to hate your family. It means to love them less. It's to put someone else above them. It's to make sure that no matter how much you want to honor your parents, right, God is center of your heart. 
And I remember that that was that was the that was the season when I made the decision. I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna just go to Saturday Bible study. I'm gonna actually go to Sunday service. I was I was not allowed to go to Sunday service, right? I was not allowed to go to Sunday service because there's no reason. I can, there's no there's no purpose way I can get out of the house to do it. So <clears throat> I remember after reading that, so I said I gotta come. I gotta make sure I get to it. And so. Instead of saying, Mom, I'm, I'm leaving Sunday service, I just, I just snuck out of the house and I came back three hours later. You know, like, I, I told her I went to work, you know. But in my heart, I was like, it's because the word grasped me. And I wasn't just sitting there laying there. Are you able to hear this message on Christmas? How do you respond to Jesus' birth, right? How do you respond to it? Hear well. Listen well. That's why... I, I always tell you guys, wherever you go, don't, don't miss Sunday. Don't miss Sunday. I know that sounds kind of silly, right? But don't miss Sunday. You know why? Because somehow, some way, it, it could be that Sunday <laughs> that God's message speaks specifically for you. And he teaches you and he's trying to get into your heart. And if you miss it, you miss the moment that he's given to you. Right? And you'll be surprised. So just don't miss, don't miss out on the opportunity. God has to speak to your heart, right? The first thing he says this is, hear well. But the second thing he says is, verse 13 to 14, this is what he says. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace on, peace to men, right, on whom his favor rests. So when Luke comes and says, when you come and you grasp God's Grace, it means that you have now peace with God. How do you respond to Christmas? How do you respond to Jesus' birth? The answer is, will you make peace with God? Will you actually make peace with God? A lot of us, we don't understand that, uh, that concept because a lot of us, we don't think that we're actually at war with God. You don't think you're actually at war with the Lord and Savior. The, the, the worst case scenario you would say is, like, I'm not really passionate about God. I'm pretty indifferent about God, but I don't think I'm actually at war with God. I don't think I'm doing battle with God. I don't think I'm sitting here and I'm actually against God. I'm, I'm pretty cool what he's doing. I'm pretty cool what he stands for. I'm not against him. But the reality is this. You are. The Bible says you are. Romans 5 to 8 says that we are at war with God. You are you're in hostile territory towards God. You know why? You know why? I'll tell you why. It's because this. Because the battle is Who's in charge? Who is in charge? How many of you guys hate it when someone else, when, when you're trying to fight between getting to become someone who, um, how many of you guys hate it with your parents? When you guys came to the age of puberty and, and your parents are like, I'm still in charge. Tell me, I'll tell you what to do. But you're coming at the age where you're trying to assert your independence. It's like, no, I'm in charge. I'll tell you what I'm supposed to do because I know better. You don't know better. You're old-fashioned, mom and dad. I know this culture. I know the new stuff. I'm, I'm in charge. And so what are you and your parents doing? You are in battle. You are at war with each other. You're constantly trying to fight each other until you see who is going to win. Because you person said, I do not want to give up my right to be in charge. I do not want to give up my independence. And so in the same way, in the exact same way, we are constantly in battle with God because we do not trust that God can actually be in charge of our lives. We don't actually believe that God is for you. We don't actually believe that God is actually fighting for you. 
We look at God and you think it's all about restrictions and rules and barriers, but you're not allowing him to actually be in charge of your life. And so you have no peace with God. You have a, you have a at best, an artificial peace that you created with God, but you don't actually have peace with God because you still are not allowing him to be ruler of your life, to be, say, to be Lord of your life. See, if you're non-religious, if you're, if you're here and you're not like a really religious person, right, you understand this concept, right? Very simply, you're saying, I want to live the life the way I want to live my life. I want to call my shots. I want to do my thing. I don't want to be told what is right and what is wrong. I don't want to be given the restrictions and the barriers. I don't want to be bottled down. I don't want to be in this kind of like, you know, uh, mold that you're making me into. I don't want that. Never once thinking and considering that maybe if God is real, that the restrictions and barriers that he gives to you is only meant to thrive you, not to destroy you. You guys realize that? I, I, I give this, this analogy a lot of times when about the fish who wants to jump out of the water, right? He's like, I'm a fish. I'm, I'm thriving in the water. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm having a good time. But imagine the fish who said to himself, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be like the land walkers, right? Just jump out into the dirt. What's going to happen? He's going to die because he broke the barrier. He broke the restriction. In the same way, when you assert your independence like that, in a world, in, into, into an existence that you don't even have control over tomorrow or your next breath, when you exert your independence in such a way, God is saying, what are you doing? I know you're trying to do it your way. I know you're trying to make it so you feel comfortable. I know you're trying to make it so that you feel like you have control. But reality is it's actually going kill you. Maybe not right away, but in a long, slow process, it will break you down. We're at war with God. If you're thinking, well, I go to church, TK, I'm not at war with God. I'm, I'm, I'm with God. I'm here. You know, cross behind, cross in front of me. I'm chilling. I am with God. No, the answer is you could be at war with God too here. Because oftentimes, people who go to church, people who spend their life in a religious community, they're at war with God because they're thinking, hey, I'm going to read my Bible. TK told me that I should ponder and treasure. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ponder and treasure this mug, right? I'm going to pray. I'm going to exert my energy to do these things. I'm going to do everything that he's called me to do. And now that I've done it, God, would you bless me? Not, not God, tell me what you desire that I may follow. But it's actually God, would you do what I want you to do? Would you bless me? Would you make my life the way I want it to? I've done everything you've asked me to. I've done everything you, 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 you called me to do it, right? Now, would you bless me? See, if you're a religious person, you're doing the exact same thing. You are exerting your independence to God. You don't trust that God can actually guide and lead your life. You're saying that, Lord, I need this in order to make my life better. So I've done all these things for you. Here's my leverage. Come and bless me. Come and, come and bless me. Come and do these things for me. And the Bible says whether you are non-religious or religious, both ways of exerting your independence towards God and you're at war with God, you're doing battle with God. No matter who you are, the Bible says you don't trust God. Even the best things you do, you do it for the wrong motives. See, a, a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, the one who responds to Christ is someone who says this, look, God, I know the wrongs that I have done, and I know that even the good things I've done, I do it with the wrong motives. That's a believer. That's someone who is humble before God. And that's someone who is actually taking the step to say, I'm making peace with God. 
I, I, other than that, any other situation than that, when you're thinking, like, I, I've done enough good, I've showed up, I've done my dues, and I need God to kind of just bless my life and just do my thing for me, you're not, you're not at peace with God. You're still leveraging God for what you want because you don't trust that he's in charge of your life. You don't trust that he knows better for your life. I'll give you an example. When I first, uh, when, when I, uh, uh, when I first got married to Trisha, I was talking to one of my older mentors. He, I told him, like, I don't know if I can move out of the house. I want to I wanna be a good parent. I, w- I want to be a good son to my mom. I want to honor her. I want to make sure that she's taken care of, and I don't want to leave the house because then she'll be, like, like, messed up and lost, and, you know, she can't take care of herself, blah, blah, blah. And so all these things, it sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty honorable. I even mentioned, like, hey, the Bible tells us to honor my, our parents. I said all those things to him, and, he, you know, he looked at me and he said, what? He's a good shepherd. I was like, did you miss the whole conversation, bro? Like, I literally just said, like, I am trying to give my life to my mom here. Said, no, you're selfish. I said, why? He said, because you, you didn't, you're not doing this because there's some sort of need for you to obey God or you're honoring God. You're doing this because you want to be a good son. You're doing this because you want people to look at you, or at least your mom to look at you, and think that you are a good son. Your motive is still about you. It wasn't about God. It's about you. you. Of course, you mix it in to make it sound like it's about God, but deep down, the thing that's driving it is you. So a lot of times when we begin to do our good deeds and do our work, we have to actually examine ourselves and ask the question, am I really doing this because I have my obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or am I doing this because I am motivated by some sort of affirmation? I'm motivated by some sort of uh, acknowledgement. I'm, I'm motivated by some sort of love that I get from this. I'm motivated by some other source besides God himself. Right? We're doing it with the wrong motives. How do you respond to the birth of Jesus? You got to listen well. God's word is speaking, and oftentimes when God's word speaks, we can either let it just flow on by or we let it grasp our hearts. Take it down to the very depths of our, our, our thought process and our emotions and ask yourself the question, what does this mean? How is this going to change my life? What, is, what do I want from it? What, what is this going to do for me? What, 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 how, does this, how does this connect to the very reality of who I am? How does my life now fit into this story that God is writing? How do you respond to the birth of Jesus Christ? It's to make peace. Are you at peace with God? Or is it an artificial peace? Can you be honest with that, right? Here in this Christmas season, are you making peace with God? Or is it an artificial peace? A lot of times, you know, like, when we go out and we buy gifts for people, and it's fun, and exciting, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's great because you want to give, you want to see joy on their face. But it's not because of our generosity or because there's a sense of, like, uh, giving and, 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 and offering. Oftentimes, you do it because you want to feel good about yourself. I get that. I feel that. I made that. See, even the good we do, we do it with the wrong motives. And whenever we do something like that, we are at war with God. We're not at peace. How do you respond to the birth of Jesus? You make peace with God. Not only when you have peace with God, you're able to go out there and make peace with other people as well. You become peacemakers. You become peacemakers because you're not, you're going out there, you're not, you're not worried about your dignity, you're not worried about your pride, you're not worried about 
your, uh, what people think about you. You're not worried about how, how people respond to you. You're not worried whether this gift is going to make them happy or not. All you're doing is you're going out there, you're living your life, you're trying to make peace, you're swallowing your pride, you're, you're swallowing your, your dignity, and he's like, hey, look, I'm here for you. It doesn't matter what you respond, how you respond, I'm for you. And you begin, you begin to make peace with people. The easiest way, I, I tell you, the easiest way in a fight is for someone to say, I'm sorry. Sincere, simple, I'm sorry. It cuts through all of that work off. Doesn't it? You're, you're fighting with each other. You, you, you're at war with each other. You're battling with each other. And all of a sudden, someone comes and says, they don't care about their pride. They're letting go of their dignity. They're not worried about what people think. They're not even worried about what they think of themselves. They're not taking themselves so seriously. And they say, I'm really sorry. It cuts through the whole, you're, you're actually peacemaker. And you're able to say sorry because why? You recognize even the good or the bad things you do. You do it for the wrong motive. You have peace with God so you can actually become peacemaker for the world around you. And here's the last thing, okay? Here's the last thing. Verses uh, 8 to 12. This is what he says. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Right? The angel said, fear not and see what I'm showing you. When God shows up, people are terrified. The only time when people were not terrified that God showed up was in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Before they messed up. That when God showed up, they were not scared. They walked with God in relationship, and they were not afraid, the Bible says. They had felt no shame, the Bible says. They were in perfect relationship. When we're in perfect relationship with God, fear is cast out. You know how I know this? And I know this simple. I, I didn't realize this, but I, I, I was reading on this, this topic, and I, and I realized this is such a, a, such a true statement. You know, with Seth, uh, no, not Seth, uh, with Enoch, right? Enoch, he throws a tantrum with me. I don't know why he, like, he, had, he, he thinks he can, right? He throws a tantrum with me, but then when I watch him with his grandma, he doesn't throw him with her. I'm like, I'm trying to, like, I'm watching over the camera, like, what is her secret? Like, what is she doing? Like, is she, like, is she, like, um, uh, uh, hypnotizing him? Is she, what is she doing to get him to not throw a tantrum? But whenever I show up, Trisha shows up, homie throws a tantrum like no other, right? Why is he acting like this? And I realized something. He trusts me and my wife enough to do that, knowing that if he does do that, we're not going to throw him in the trash can when he's done, right? <laughs> he knows that. I think he knows that instinctively, right? I think with my grandma, I don't think he knows that very well. I think he's that's just still like, oh, he might actually throw me in the trash can. Right? But with mom and dad, he knows instinctively because why? He has a relationship with us, right? At least at this point, right? Before I break him, you know, so like... He has a relationship with us, so he knows that he can throw this tantrum, and it'll be okay. You, you see that sometimes. Sometimes students in school, they're like this perfect student, and then at home, they're like this little brat, right? Like, how is this happening? There's something about the trust that's there that allows for the relationship to go on. Right? In the same way, when you have perfect relationship with God, there's this ability to connect and be yourself before God without fear. 
But here's the problem. When Adam and Eve, they messed that up, the Bible says fear entered into the universe. Fear spread throughout the land. Fear began to poison the very heart of them because the moment they chose to disobey God, the moment they chose to assert their independence, the moment they assert their control, fear became the cornerstone of their life. They ran when, Jesus, when God showed up in the garden. God was saying, why are you hiding? We heard you, Adam said, and we were afraid because we were naked. Who told you? Fear began to happen. You guys realize that you live in fear? You may not call it fear because when you think about fear, you're thinking about like, um, like uh, you're watching a scary movie fear, right? You're constantly like heart pumping, like you're nervous, you don't want to look at the world, right? But I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about the fear that, that leaves you anxious, the fear that leaves you stressed, the, le- the fear that leaves you saddened, the fear that leaves you immobilized, can't move forward, can't think of the future. You are constantly in fear. The fear that makes you constantly change yourself because you want to be accepted. We live in a constant state of fear because of that initial fear that spread throughout the world and it's toxic and poisonous. Fear controls you. Whether you believe in that, you, you fear rejection. For parents, you fear rejection from your kids, right? So for some of us, we fear rejection from our friends. For a lot of us, we fear rejection from, a lot of people on social media, they fear, they fear rejection from their fans on social media. There's a lot of fear that goes on because you want to be liked, you want to be loved, you want people to, to, to think of you a certain way, and you're, so you're constantly in this fear of asking yourself, am I performing up to their expectation? We fear for our parents because we're thinking, maybe I'm not living up to the expectation of my parents. And so we live in fear of that. See, here's the thing. When you have perfect relationship with God, when you have the relationship with God, it casts out fear because you don't need to worry about what people think of you when you know what the Lord and Savior of the world thinks about you. But in the same way, you, we, we, we fear about the future. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You don't know whether you're going to get married or not. You're worried about whether you're going to be single for the rest of your life. You're worried about whether you uh, are going to graduate school. You worry about whether you're going to have enough money, whether you're going to be able to retire. You worry about things happening in the future because it seems dark and uh, uh, clouded to you. But if we had this relationship with God, you wouldn't be afraid of the future because you know he has complete control over the future. But you still live in fear, do you not? Right? You still live in stress, do you not? You're still constantly saddened or anxious, leading to depression and, and, and state of immobilization, laziness, that you don't want to move because you're like, what's the point of moving or what's the point of doing anything? No, no, it's going nowhere. And if you are moving, you're, you're, you're constantly worrying about what's going to happen next. You don't know what the future lies. Right? That's why people who are constantly in that fear, they don't know what, hap- they don't know what to do when something terrible happens, like a death in the family or a, uh, a, a bad outcome, a, a bad uh, diagnosis in your, in your uh, um, medical, uh, medical exam, right? You're like, what do I do now? I thought I had the future in my hand. Now I don't have it in my hand, so what do I do now? And fear immobilizes us so much. Fear of rejection, wanting to be loved, wanting to be affirmed, fear of the future. All because, all because this. All because you wanted to assert independence of your own life. All because you decided in your heart, somewhere in the heart of hearts, you decided, I don't want anyone else to be in charge of my life but God. I am, 
I am the one who is the master of my own fate, the captain of my own soul. No one can come and tell me what to do. And you're right. Maybe you are independent. Maybe you are strong. But guess what? You live in a state of fear. You're anxious. You're worried. You're doubting. You're questioning over and over. You're a slave to what people think of you. You're a slave to your own personal performance. You're trying to measure up. You're you're trying to ask yourself, do I measure up? And you're constantly filled with fear. And when God comes near, and and, and now now let's take the picture of God into this. Bring God into this now, this already heightened sense of fear that you live with. right? Now bring God into this. What happens? We become even more afraid. Why? We're afraid now when he's far, but when when he's closer, we're even more afraid because we know for a fact that he's going to see through us. He's going to see the ugliness, the darkness. He's going to see the hypocrisy. He's going to see the, 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 um, the lies. He's going to see the secrecy. He's going to, when we bring God into it, we get even more afraid. And so what do we do? We push God away. As long as God is, doesn't have a personal relationship with me, as long as I don't have to deal with God, things should be okay. But the closer you get, the, fear, the more afraid you become because you recognize you recognize where you stand before God. I'll give you an example of this. I have a buddy. I've, uh, one, one time we went to a, a party. He lied about his, um, his career, right? So he was a doctor, okay? Uh, he, he, wasn't doing to get, he, he wasn't doing it to get a girl. He was just, he was just, I don't know why he did it. He just said, I'm a doctor. And I was like, okay, cool, right? And it was all fun and games. It was all nice and funny until what? A doctor appeared, right? And now he's like sweating bullets. He's like, oh, shoot. Like, let's, not, let's stay away from this person because if they talk, they're going to find out who I am. I was like, that's pretty smart. But then, of course, you know, there's a small circle. So the guy comes over and, and you know, the, the, the ones he's been, like, you know, bragging about that he's been a doctor. Hey, you know, so-and-so's a doctor too. And he's like, oh, I'm good, man. I'm like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You better fake it till you make it now, right? And the guy's like, the doctor's like asking him all these questions and, and he's trying to give his best answer to it. And, you know, after like three minutes, you can tell in the, guy, in the doctor's face, he's like, this guy, I don't know, right? You can tell for a fact, you know. And, and my buddy was like, man, let's, I'm embarrassed, but let's just go. Uh, let's just leave right now because I can't, I can't sit here, right? Because <clears throat> when something real comes, you recognize how fake you are, right? I remember as a pastor, I get a lot of people who try to sell me things, you know. And the way they try to always sell me things is that when I come out a pastor, they always tell me they're a Christian, right? And so they're like, oh, I'm a Christian too. I'm like, oh, great. It's awesome, man. What church do you go to? My, my, my basic answer question is, what church do you go to? And they say, oh, you know, the one in, um, um, you know, close to Macy's. I'm like, oh, uh, so, I, so I, I'll, I'll kind of lead them along. I'll say, oh, you mean like um, The Rock? Say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm Rock Harbor. I say, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, that, yeah, too. I love that church. I'm going there for years, man. I just, it's my group. And they say, oh, cool, cool. So, like, how's your pastor doing? I said, he's doing great. He's doing awesome. He's like, uh, it's, the white, it's the white guy, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, the white guy. You know, the, uh, what's his name again? I was like, uh, he, they're like, um. Yeah, it just slipped my mind for some reason. Like, it's, it's that, uh, you know, it's, it's the white guy. I was like, yeah, it's the white guy. I was like, and I, so I, so I dropped a name. I was like, yeah, it's, uh, so Mike Geary? He's like, yeah, that's the one, Mike Geary, yeah. So how was it? Dude, I, his message last week was on point. And I was like, oh, he left the church two, two years ago. And he's like, oh, oh, I meant, I, meant, I, I listened to it on, on, um, online, the old message. I was, like, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, sure, cool, you're telling me, right? You know, so it's always like that. You know, like, the more, the more... The more the real comes, the more you begin to be afraid and you begin to actually act up more, right? And so what, what does this mean? We live in a state of fear and anxiety. When you add God to the mix, 
you're constantly worried about, does God actually accept me? I know he says so, but does he actually really accept me? Does he really look at me and see that I'm precious and loving? Does he really look at me and say what he says in the Bible? Does he really mean that? And this is what the angel says. What what does the angel say in verse 10? He says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not, he says. I got something for you. You who have lived your life in fear, you who've always questioned whether God really loves you, you who are constantly hiding from God the reality of what you're doing in life, you who are running away, you who are trying to prove to everyone else who you are, kind of, you who are living in the fear of rejection, the fear of your future, you who are chasing and don't even know what you're chasing, fear not. I got something for you. I got Christmas. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. If you want to get over your fear, whether it's the fear of rejection, whether it's the fear of the future, whether it's the fear that has paralyzed you, whether it's the fear of actually being able to approach God, can I tell you something? Fear not, because here in the town of David, a Savior is born. And the angels cried out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news that he says, It's to all men who live in fear. It's all people who are in fear. This news is not just for a specific group of people. It's to the whole world who has been poisoned and toxified by fear. Fear not. A Savior is born. And if you rest in his salvation, you will be free of it. But then the question is, how do I know? How do I know I can be free, PT? How do I know that this anxiety that I have can actually be alleviated? How do I know that I can actually walk my life, live my life, not afraid of meeting people's expectations because I have the love and the expectations of my God? How, how, do I, how do I live in that freedom from fear? How do I know that that's real? And the answer was this, okay? Um, goes something like this. You know when the Russians first sent a man into the, into the, uh, into the, into the space, right? He was floating around. This is what the, the Russian says. I have seen the heavens, and there is no God, right? This, that was the season where the Soviet Union were all atheists, right? So I have seen the, I have seen the heavens, and there is no God. And everyone's like, ha, 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 funny, right? But the reality, that's not how you connect to God. You can't see God the way you're going from floor one to floor two. It doesn't work that way. It's not like you're on earth, and as I go to level three, I can see God, right? It doesn't work that way. The way you engage with God Right, you deal with God like Shakespeare deals with Hamlet. Right? Shakespeare writes Hamlet into existence. Shakespeare writes Hamlet's story. Shakespeare crafts from the beginning to the end. Shakespeare knows the, the ins, the outs, the character, the flaws, the ups and the downs. Shakespeare knows the plot. Shakespeare knows everything about Hamlet. But Hamlet has no idea who Shakespeare is. Hamlet will never know Shakespeare's existence unless Shakespeare does what? writes himself into the story. Unless Shakespeare says, and then Hamlet turned around, and here I was, right? I'm your creator, you know? How do we deal with, how do we know, how can we trust? Because 2,000 years ago, in the midst of humanity, our story was being told in whatever way we wanted to tell it, and God stepped in, into the picture of this story, and he's like, I'm here. I'm here to tell you there's a different story, that you belong to something even bigger than what you think. I'm here to tell you that the fear that you live in is 
not meant to be the way you're supposed to live. That's not how I created you to be. I'm here to tell you I've come to bring redemption. I've written myself into humanity. I'm not going from level three up in the heavens to coming down to level one. I've written myself into the story. How do you know that you can trust God? How do you know that fear can be alleviated? How can you actually step into 2020 with this courage and the strength and the power to deal with all the fear that you have in regards to family, in regards to school, in regards to your future, in regards to relationship, in regards to all those things? How do you know? Because you look at Christmas and you see God writing himself into the story to bring me peace and bring me redemption. All right? And if we understand that, we understand that it can change your life. If you let that kick in, it can change your life. And so that's my prayer, church, is that, one, would you hear well? Would, would, you, would you stop just waiting for Sunday service for PT to kind of give you the message and hopefully it clicks in? And hopefully this is the, this is the touchdown one this, for my soul. That you would hear well and ponder this question with the word yourself. That you would listen to it. That you would read it. That you would engage me. Would you make actual peace with God? Would you stop fighting with him? Would you stop trying to be in charge of your life? Would you simply say, God, this is my life. Use it as you will. I live and I breathe for the obedience of my Savior and my Lord. Would you allow for him to take charge of that and no longer try to assert your own independence, which honestly, if you live long enough, no, it gets you nowhere. You're running in circles, you're chasing after things that have kept you constantly in a state of fear. And he comes and he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Here I am. Christmas. So may Christmas be a time of blessing for you and your family. But it also be a time where you're responding well to the Savior of the world.